everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, March 7th, 2018 edition of our little weather get-together, and we're happy to have Dr. Cody He's a storm surge specialist with the National Hurricane Center. So uh, Cody is located in warm, lovely Miami, where the rest of us, well, we're digging out of the winter chill. And talking about that, uh, uh, we'll bring in Peter here in just a little bit, who has experienced uh, not one but two nor'easters, and it looks like he may have a third one uh, coming up towards the end of the weekend. But before we do that, our live broadcast tonight, there's many ways that you can watch that. Uh, our Facebook Live Periscope is currently streaming, or you may be watching on our YouTube page. And if you're listening to the podcast, maybe a few days from now, uh, thank you for doing that. And we'll let um, our guest at the end of the show give out information how you can um, how you can reach them there at the uh, National Hurricane Storm National Hurricane Center and the Storm Surge Unit. I'll get it out here in just a second. So uh, it's been a, a, a like we said, a, an active week, especially for some of us here on the panel. So I'm going to toss it up to Peter, who's in uh, South Jersey. Peter, I think you've had a little bit of everything, haven't you, in the past couple of days? Yeah, uh, it has been absolutely insane here. That's all I could say. Uh, two nor'easters within one week. Uh, I don't know if that's ever happened. That's just insane. But uh, we did have a pretty bad storm. I'm sure you all heard about that last Friday. Uh, we had wind gusts 60, 70 miles an hour, especially along the coast, uh, with a little bit of snow. It wasn't too bad, but the, the wind was the biggest thing. Knocked down two of my trees, so uh, that tells you how bad it was. But uh, today we had another nor'easter. Uh, the snow was worse this time, and let me do some pictures here. Why not? So you can all join in on my uh, horrible experience today. Uh, did give me a day off, so that is a plus. But uh, yeah, we had some whiteout conditions today. Uh, this morning, it's actually a whole mix of everything. Every minute I was looking out the window, it was something different uh, from mixing to rain to snow. It was going back and forth. But all afternoon, we had thunder, lightning, um, heavy snow, whiteout conditions. It was just terrible. So uh, this was the backyard. You could see winter wonderland pretty much. And uh, this was also a little video here of uh when we had the one of the most intense snow bands come through uh it was pretty bad uh driving around today so uh kind of just uh changed quick um the weather conditions so it was fun and uh now we're gonna be looking at another one possibly on monday so i guess three times a charm huh uh <laughs> maybe i'll get another day off so there we'll you. see but uh yeah i can't wait for the winter to be over they say all things come in three, and so there yes, you go. Yes, that's right. We'll pop that one off. Uh, I'll bring in Eric next. Eric's in the uh, Memphis, Tennessee Eric area. Eric, you as well have had a little bit of uh, active weather with lots of rain and some flooding in your area. Yes, we have. We finished uh, the month of February with almost 13 and a half inches of rain for the month, which broke the old February record by a couple of inches. We're glad to put February behind us and move into March, but uh, that does leave behind quite a bit of water. Um, especially down the Mississippi. This is normal springtime flood season, but uh, this morning we cracked into the top 10 uh, crests on the Mississippi River here at Memphis and into the top 10. So um, it is uh, about six feet above flood stage, a lot of backwater flooding into some of the tributaries and stuff, but um, fortunately not, uh, you know, not a lot of houses that are threatened or businesses or anything. So we're thankful for that and just ready to uh, have a few dry days between the normal springtime rains and fronts that we start getting at this time of year. Yeah, I was going to say, I was in your area this past week and just crazy how much flooding uh, in the Memphis area. And then as you went into Arkansas, it was even worse. So hopefully you guys can dry out here soon and uh, get some nice sunny weather and 
Um, let's go down to the great state of Texas. We'll bring in Ashley tonight. Ashley, how's things in your area? Doing great. I don't have too much to report. We're looking at 60s, 70s, and then maybe even 80s on Saturday. Um, we're going to get a little bit of moisture, so we might have some slight rain or thunderstorm chances this weekend, but really nothing any uh, tragic at all. I'm just excited about the warmth, and I'm ready for storm season. So, Let's all throw our tomatoes at once at Ashley right now. Yeah, so don't rub it in, okay? Uh, no, no fun. Thank you, Ashley. Uh, let's bring in our uh, Carolina people, and uh, we'll start off in uh, the Raleigh area. Uh, Jordan, you are anticipating some uh, good weather, but also anticipating that Carolina game coming up soon, right? You bet I am. Uh, ACC <laughs> tournament time. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, after a ridiculously warm February, we're kind of back in the winter pattern again. It's We've had a couple of cold air damming events in the past week that have been pretty miserable to live through, uh, but it's something we deal with here in the Carolinas pretty frequently. But uh, the other big thing is, uh, let's see, the end of last, last week going into the weekend, we had a pretty uh, severe windstorm associated with the nor'easter developing off the coast. We had 40 to 50 mile per hour wind gusts here in the Triangle. One uh, tree actually fell across Franklin Street in Chapel Hill uh, down some tree or down some power lines and basically, uh, the, the Southeast regional climate center office where I work, it was shut down for the day. So I actually had to go work on campus at the library for most of the day. So that was not too fun. I couldn't access any of my office files, but, uh, all is back to normal this week. I know we were tweeting earlier. I hate you didn't get the rest of the day off. You know, that's, that's what they should have done. Right. I know. Right. <laughs> being a state employee. That's that's right. Well, let's go down uh, I-85 just a little bit. We'll bring in James Briarton. James, you and I are pretty close together in the Charlotte metro area. I'm wondering, uh, is your allergy starting to bother you like mine? Pollen's in the air. You're, you're absolutely right, Scotty. And I, I think I noticed it for the first time two days ago and almost went to the store to buy Claritin. And then I said, well, on Tuesday, it's going to rain. Let's see what happens on Wednesday. Today was all right. But I think either way, it's probably about time I start stocking up on the allergy meds. So I'm glad it's not just me, Scotty. Yes, yes, it is time. Uh, tis the season for that. Let's bring in our Charleston guys, uh, Jared and Shay. Uh, how's things going down there in the Low Country? Oh yeah. Oh, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, we we actually got some rain last night. We've been abnormally dry uh, to use the drought monitor term uh, for the better part of the last couple months. And uh, after our fun snow event in January. Um, Back below normal, it's going to be, uh, we're dealing possibly with some frost concer concerns, maybe some freeze concerns further inland. Uh, just a bit of a roller coaster. We've been getting on the tail end of these nor'easters. They've been very disappointing when it comes to rainfall, although we did get a tenth of an inch of rain overnight. Uh, just enough to rinse some of that pollen away and excite the plants to produce new pollen. So um, <laughs> suffice to say, lots of flonase, lots of um, off-brand Claritin from from Costco, you get them in the drums. See, you, you get them, you get them in bulk. Um, four years worth in, in one thing for like twenty bucks. So I mean, it works out. Uh, but not too bad. Otherwise, you know, nothing, nothing too crazy. And um, back to you, Scotty. Thanks, Jared. And I'll bring in Shay here now. I, I think I saw Shay a couple of nights ago on Twitter dancing around like crazy man because Charleston's going back to the NCAA tournament no i'm just kidding about that but shay i know you was really excited about your alma mater yeah yeah college of charleston won the um they won their their game and they got into the tourney so that's a big deal you know they haven't been in the tourney i can't remember the last time they were it wasn't that long ago but it's always 99. exciting to see 
was it 99 right okay it was 99 uh, so that, was, yep. that was kind of a long time ago okay yeah because there was one year when all the south Carolina teams went in and uh and that was a big deal but you know usually they end up making it to the nit uh either way it's exciting to see them make it to the big tourney and hope they hope they do the best hope they win it all that would be you know the the cinderella move there uh but yeah to supplement what jaron was saying we, we you know we've got some fairly mild weather here not not quite enough rain as we would like with all the pollen uh, I mean, it looked like droves of paint on the ground. The yellow paint is how, it, the, the way that the rain sort of puddled everything together. Uh, so going out this morning, I was like, wow, that was a lot of pollen. Uh, but one thing to note is that our, our sea surface temperatures, we had some record warmth uh, last week, and um, our sea surface temperatures has come up to, it got up to about 64 degrees and went back down to about 59 to 60. Uh, but that did allow for the sea breeze circulations to really crank up along the coast. We had a couple of days. We had backdoor sea breeze oscillations. We had sea breeze circulations from the south. Um, so we're seeing some winds really starting, the microclimate winds starting to sort of turn on along the coast a little bit early this year. Um, yeah, sea surface temperature is right about normal, uh, but it's it's good to see the return of that warm weather kind of climate come back. So we'll, we'll see what happens here in the next few weeks. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised to have another cold snap or two, but uh, we thought that might happen towards the end of February, beginning of March, and we were dead wrong. So uh, that's, <laughs> you know, it's the tricky part about the Southeast and especially along the coastline here in March. Uh, you just never know. As far as, uh, the ENSO predictions, uh, we're still on track and the, the report hasn't come out quite yet. It might come out tomorrow, uh, for 55% chance March through May season, those three months right in there for, um, the La Nina to fade to an ENSO neutral phase. And that would go on most likely through the entire summer. So. Uh, we were in neutral last year. We could have another active hurricane season this year. It's really hard to tell. We may ask our guest about this here in the show tonight, but I think for the most part, we're just kind of cruising right into a neutral phase from the Pacific and, and uh, things are really up in the air for this year. Back to you, Scotty. All right, Shay, thank you for that. Let's uh, bring in our guest tonight, Dr. Cody Fritz, uh, Fritz with us. Uh, he is from the Storm Surge Unit there at the National Hurricane Center. Cody, welcome to the show tonight. Hey, thanks for having me. You're welcome. So uh, as we do with our first new guest, we told you, well, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, we would like to know, though, um, our first question to our, our new time, our first time guests are, uh, how did you catch the weather bug? What got you interested? Tell us a little bit about your your weather history and, and a little bit about you before we go into tonight's topic. Oh, you got time for that? I'm not sure. We, uh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say just like anybody else, you know, started when I was young, uh, had a passion for the weather. Kind of deviated though. I started taking interest in other math, science-y type professions, but found it again. Um, so, you know, sophomore year of college, I kind of switched from engineering to meteorology, and then the road kind of took me on its own. Um, it's kind of bumpy along the way, but you know, eventually, I found a path. Uh, did my PhD, got lucky, I guess is what you could say, and got to the Hurricane Center and kind of just took over with. With storm surge. I mean, my background is in tropical meteorology, so I guess it kind of works out. But I don't know. We were uh, we was looking through your your biography and I noticed <laughs> that you had a a stint at the National Weather Service in Charleston as an intern. I did. Um, yeah. So as a Holland scholar, you get to kind of pick, you know, uh, where you want to go uh, for a summer internship. And I kind of just, you know, had interest in going to Charleston. I liked what they were doing and. They were uh, picked me, which I'm happy for. And then, uh, yeah, made some good friends. Definitely good friends. Uh, it was a great, great experience. Um, still know those guys to this day. So, yeah, it was good. And that's one of the reasons why I love Charleston. So spending the summer there was amazing. Yeah. Did you work with Richard Thacker or Pete Mullen? Oh, uh, no. 
No. Does names ring a bell? No. If they do, and I'm sorry if I no, but they don't. <laughs> that's all right. They have uh, a few guys have been there quite a while, so that's good. Yeah, Charleston office. We love we love our guys here in Charleston. Is Richard Richard is he the, is he a lead forecaster? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, okay. I definitely I think remember him. But uh, yeah, I worked a lot with uh, Steve Taylor, and uh, who, call him John Q. Uh, but he's no longer there. I think he moved to uh, Columbia. And I was good friends with the Sioux, well, the, the former Sioux, uh, Frank Alzheimer. Mm-hmm. So those guys, yeah. Great crew. Yeah, definitely great crew. Yeah, enjoyed it. In fact, okay. speaking of which, uh, real, real quick mention about that while we're on it is um, yeah. they're starting their riptide currents forecasting March 15th. So oh, that uh, okay. may coincide with what your studies are with the with storm surge unit. Uh, but uh, that's that's when they're officially starting the season this year, 15th. Oh, okay. Well, Cody, um, let, let's talk a little bit about the storm surge unit. You guys are there in the uh, National Hurricane Center. Kind of uh, give our, our listeners who may um, may not know what the – well, before we do that, yeah, let's do this. Let, okay. For our followers or listeners who may not understand or may not live at the coast don't really know what storm surge is, let's talk about storm surge first and then kind of transition into what you guys do there at the office on, on any given day. Okay. Uh, anyway, so I guess on any given day, um, we kind of like, we have, we're kind of multidisciplinary, if you, if you will, um, in Storm Surge, kind of a unique group. Um, we kind of usually break down our task into three kind of uh, situations where um, during the season, when there's hurricanes or there's a landfall, we're definitely operational. So when there's a landfalling event, we come in, um, we forecast Storm Surge. Um, that's uh, no surprise. And then the other part of what we do is a lot of research and development. So um, not only in the off season, but even when there's some downtime, we're always constantly working on the storm surge model, trying to improve that, improve the basins or the, the grid that it kind of runs on um, just to improve it, make it better, um, that kind of thing. And then outside of that, we spend a lot of time, especially right now, doing outreach, educational outreach, um, educating emergency managers on the products, you know, what they mean, you know, what it says, uh, how to interpret it, that kind of thing. A lot of travel, more outreach. That kind of thing. So it's kind of like a yeah, a little short. That's okay. And yeah. for for our followers who uh, may live in the Piedmont areas or in mm-hmm. the mountains or whatever, uh, don't really live around the coast. When, when you're forecasting, you know, for storm surge, kind of explain to our, our viewers maybe what storm surge is, and then we can kind of get into some of the uh, products that you guys issue um, during the tropic season. Yeah. So storm surge is simply the abnormal rise of water due to. Uh, a hurricane or a tropical cyclone or that kind of thing, any wind forcing water um, and pushing water towards the land. So any abnormal rise of water outside of the astronomical tide, um, we call that storm surge. And if you were to add the tide, we kind of call sturge plus tide, storm tide, if that makes any sense. So, and anywhere along the United States coastline and other uh, coastal areas are pretty susceptible to storm surge. Okay, cool. Well, let's let's talk about what what you guys do. Uh, I know last year you started a um, a new uh, product with issuing uh, storm surge watches and warnings. Uh, yeah. Talk about maybe what the criteria is for those watches and warnings, and then maybe how you guys go about uh, disseminating that information um, to to the public. Yeah, so uh, I, I, I can say for the first time this year, we issued the first ever storm surge watch warning. So we've kind of deviated from grouping watches and warnings with the wind. So we wanted to separate it because it's a different hazard. Um, 
For a storm surge watch, we usually say that that's the possibility of life-threatening surge occurring in any given area that we've outlined, and that's usually issued about 48 hours before the hazard occurs. Um, the storm surge warning is where we we have life or the danger of life-threatening storm surge within 36 hours of that hazard um, occurring. Um, and generally, how we disseminate that information is through you know. Uh, we can provide an interactive graphic kind of shows that we also can send out uh, information via, you know, the weather service um, and that kind of thing. So. Very cool. I have to unmute myself. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, so, did I lose you? <laughs> no, no, no. So, uh, so tell us a little bit about um, maybe I know Ashley is, is in emergency management. So when you guys look at these products and, and you see these storms coming in. How do you how do you communicate with maybe the local uh, city and, and state governments and stuff like that as we're watching an approaching hurricane? Oh yeah, so that's a good question. So um, in general, uh, the best we can do is we provide the information, and we have a great uh, team inside the hurricane center, the hurricane liaison team or the FEMA, uh, and so we work closely with them, um, provide them with information, and they kind of coordinate with their local EMs and other emergency managers as well. Um, we do provide briefings to local officials and that kind of thing as well. So I want to ask you about the uh, interactive maps that you have. And yeah. uh, usually whenever a hurricane, uh, when we get a named storm or named tropical cyclone, uh, these storm surge maps become available on your NHC sites per update mm -hmm. and they're active. And uh, right now I'm looking at, I'm gonna share the screen. This is the ArcGIS viewer. This is an interactive map that's uh, available and okay. uh, just sort of tell us about this map and and how the public could use this to their advantage is this something that's ongoing regardless of tropical cyclone development or just when cyclones are uh, developed and have been named right so this is our national storm surge hazard maps now these maps are available 24 7 all the time and really what this information is showing you is it's showing you the risk potential the vulnerability given a certain category of, uh, of storms. So for any given category, that's basically showing you the maximum amount of surge you can see, not only in value, but the extent. Um, these are pre-computed maps, pre-computed composites that represent the maximum value of storm surge, both in value and extent for any given category of storm. And so as if you were to sequence through those category one through five, you can see the differences in what, say, any given Category 5 or any given Category 4 can produce as far as surge is concerned. So these are mentioned just to, you know, inform the public, not only the public, but, you know, uh, any local officials and, and media. And these, this is the risk potential, obviously, for any given, given storm. And so the, the values are color-coded um, within three-foot uh, increments. Obviously, anything but greater than nine feet um, is not – generally, nobody cares. That's pretty – pretty significant so so I have a question about these maps um, mm -hmm. you guys are always great at making wonderful products maps graphics and things like that and I'm an emergency manager but I'm not quite on the coast so right. I don't look into this as much as other emergency managers do mm -hmm. but how do you ensure that emergency managers are able to see all these great products that you guys are putting out because I know uh, working with the emergency managers I work with, even if we're just looking at flood data or tornado data or anything like that, a lot of them just don't know this stuff is out there. And a lot of this stuff would really help with decision making. So how do you think that we can reach out better and show these products? Or how are you guys doing that currently? 
No, that's a great question. So one of the big things that we do um, as part of our, you know, education and outreach is that we actually do, we, we host uh, during this, I would say in the off season, uh, three weeks out of the year, we actually bring in uh, local emergency managers to the hurricane center and kind of educate them on the products. I mean, granted, these products are new. So we've been trying to do a really uh, as much as we can to inform them and educate them on these products, not only the products, but kind of what they mean and where they can find them. And not only do that, not only do we do that in the hurricane center, but we actually go out, we travel across the country along coastal, you know, areas that are affected by storm surge and do the same thing. You know, we teach them everything we can about storm surge, the forecasting, what it is, what the products are both um, in real time and that kind of thing to kind of give them the best available information that we can, you know, to inform them best we can about uh, what it is they're seeing and how best they can use it and exactly what it means because not always, just by looking at it without being you know, educated on or, or teaching, not everybody understands exactly what's being shown. So it's important that we you know, do our best to educate. Definitely, fans. yeah, that's, that's super important. Mm-hmm. I think I heard too about the Hurricane Center potentially doing exercises with EMs also. Am I correct on that? No, we do do exercises and we do, um, we provide uh, material as well uh, for uh, not only national exercises, but local exercises. Um, I mean, we're kind of in that process right now where we, we run these uh, test storms and that produce storm surge and we provide the products as if it were a, a real event. So just to give people more of a, an experience with that type of material. Oh, very cool. Yeah. And, and Cody, I know last year was a um, very active season. I know not all of the data is, is in yet, but um, just kind of an overall view. How do you think the whole process with the new watch warning process or pro, uh, process went? And uh, maybe I think we were talking a little bit earlier. You've got some uh, some a little bit of data from Harvey um, yeah. that maybe you can talk about. Yeah. So uh, overall, it was a it was a pretty I would say it was a successful season for the new products, um, uh, but it was very impactful. Um, in general. So I think it was rough on, on, on many, not only us, but obviously the people that were affected by storm surge. I mean, if you look at the season as an overview, I mean, everywhere from the entire Gulf Coast up to the Mid-Atlantic was generally affected by storm surge in, in some way, including Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. So it was, I would say, a historic year, um, to say the least. Um, as far as the products uh, were concerned, obviously it was the first time we ever issued a storm surge watch warning, um, which is remarkable in itself. You know, to separate the wind from the surge um, has been an endeavor for the past you know, almost decade. And to finally achieve such uh, goals was uh, quite an accomplishment. And one of the great things I would say about having this new storm surge watch warning or even the potential, you know, inundation or the flooding map that we provide as well, which became operational just a couple of years ago. Um, with this new information, I really think this uh, provides uh, better uh, information to, to, you know, protect people, not only that live along the coast, but to provide information to the EMs. But I think it really helps save lives um, in comparison to, you know, previous years. If you just go back to Sandy from 2012, um, you lost almost, what, 40, 41 people to storm surge, which was a Category 1 hurricane, right? And as far as we know, and as far as right now, preliminary results suggest that zero lives were lost. And we had, you know, three major hurricanes, right? 
um, just this year, um, in addition to Hurricane Nate, which produced um, quite an extensive amount of storm surge, even though it was a Category 1. And to have no deaths, um, I think that's quite remarkable. I was going to further that point in saying how wonderful of a job the NHC did with the actual forecasting of the storms this year. Very high success rate. Uh, how do you come up with your storm surge in general? Like, I know you have slosh modeling, you have different kinds mm -hmm. of modeling that you use, but right. you'd say somebody says, okay, here's the storm. This is a category five. Is Miami yeah. going to be underwater or what? You know, I mean, how do you come up with the numbers that you do? So there's a lot of research done on this. Um, when it comes to forecasting storm surge, we like to deviate from this whole deterministic approach and side more on um, the uncertainty. So that's why we use what we call probabilistic storm surge or P-surge for short. We really need to account for uh, the risk potential and that means accounting for the uncertainty. Um, in order to do that, uh, we have to account for various changes in say the radius and maximum winds of the hurricane, which basically we accommodate for its size. Um, we take into account the bathymetry um, which and the shape of the coastline, which differs obviously all along the United States. Um, in addition to that, the speed, um, not only uh, how fast the storm is moving, um, but basically its direction as well. All those things um, are accounted for and we can, from the information, we can create what we call probabilities, so create a probabilistic uh, uh, storm surge um, values. So it kind of gives us um, the risk potential uh, for any given location along the coastline. What, might, what would be a near worst case scenario uh, surge amount or surge value for, for a given area. Um, so I pointed out the potential, the flooding map, the inundation graphic that you see that kind of accommodates or kind of coincides with the storm surge watch warning. So that map, uh, oh, so this is P-Search, what you're showing here. Um, we can take that information, um, post-process it, and kind of put it onto a nicer, high-resolution um, map in which we actually account for uh, the ground as well, so the height of the ground. So we can give you the storm surge values um, above ground. Uh, I don't know if you have an example of that as well, but that would be the potential uh, flooding map. Anyway, so what we typically show as a near worst case uh, scenario value. So these point probabilities, we show the 10% exceedance. And those values generally mean that there's a one in 10 chance of the values that are being shown being exceeded, or a 90% chance, if you want to look at it a different way, a 90% chance of it being that value or less. And so this is really meant to be a, a tool to kind of protect against that uncertainty um, that, might, that might exist. And just to add to that, uh, it's really good to be able to provide that worst case scenario because that's how EMs are going to want to make their decisions. They want to know the worst right. possible outcome so then they mm -hmm. can prepare with the resources and tone it down if it doesn't end up being like that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think there were situations this year where it, it worked. And, and, and uh, if you think about Hurricane Irma, I think that was a good ex example of how, I mean, granted, there was... Uh, the forecast was a bit large, but if you take into account that that track shift to the east, um, the eroding eye wall on the west side, um, some of the surge values didn't materialize. But I mean, they did see up to ten feet anyway on the forecast, even though it was a little bit higher than that. I mean, there were there were several reasons for that. The idea is that you just can't account for a deterministic track because there are so many variables in that affect the value or the height of the storm surge that you really have to accommodate or account for that uncertainty. 
So yeah, I wanted to go ahead, Eric. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, Cody, I wanted to follow up on that um, mm -hmm. on the P surge product and and also Ashley's question. So um, with these probabilistic forecasts, they're a little bit harder for people to kind of understand. You know that you can't say, right. well, yes, it's going to do this, or no, it's not going to do that. Mm -hmm. um, who is who is the the kind of the target audience for those probabilistic products is it is it like the emergency managers that are trained a little more is it general public and and what was the feedback you got as far as um did people understand what they were looking at or were there a lot of questions a lot of you know trying to figure out explaining to people you know what they're looking at yeah it's really meant to be a planning tool for for local officials ems um in addition to the general public i mean we also you know the storm surge watch warning really helps to pronounce what is life-threatening and that's really a, a tool for for the general public but i would also acknowledge that i think the, the general in my short experience with that i mean we ran into a couple people down in, in key west and this graphic you know they they looked at that and they were they, they saw the values and it made them leave <laughs> so um i do i do think uh the general public has um is aware of it and has, has used it uh, for the for their benefit, um, but really it's meant to, yeah it's meant to for a planning tool. We're showing near worst case scenario values, and so this is meant to show you you know not only the uncertainty but what you kind of should plan for. If that makes if that makes sense. It does. Thanks. Yep. I so for our viewers out there, we have um, uh, a really popular tool that's been used to, sh to share information is um, is this. This is from the comment program. I'm just going to push play on this and you know, feel free to, to, to comment on this, Cody, if you want to. It's, uh, it's, it's a general model. Keep in mind that every storm is different and every, every category three storm may not be the same, but this is the general concept showing this, the surge in accordance to the wind speeds and the, and the driving force of water. And, and then we have to factor in tides as well along the coastline. Would you like to Comment about that a little bit. Uh, yeah, so I want to. Well, I do want to make one important point that not, that you can never, you can't really associate the height of storm surge with a given category of storm, because there are so many different factors, like I said, that can affect the storm surge values. I mean, you can get. We've seen, uh, for example, category four storms produce less storm surge than say category one, just based on where they hit, how big the wind field is, um, and that kind of thing. Um, I, I do want to say, um, I think there's an, there might be another comment graphic that I think is really interesting is that if you look, um, I think there was a question earlier about, maybe it was before the show, but we talked about Miami and how the storm surge um, was not as much as you might expect, even though it was a very strong storm. Now, granted, Irma moved a bit southwest, but let's say Irma hit um, right into Miami. Uh, if you took that storm ran it through Miami, the amount of surge you would get would not match if you ran that storm along the West Coast. And that's simply because of the slope of the bathymetry. So in Miami, you have a very uh, narrow, sharp shelf. Um, and in the Gulf Coast, which is more susceptible to storm surge, it's very gradual, right, wide. And so in those cases, you can produce a lot more storm surge relative to, say, somewhere like Miami or like a coastal area, for example, like Puerto Rico or, or I mean, sorry, an island country or island area like uh, Puerto Rico or Virgin Islands. And Cody, uh, I heard you mentioned this a little bit ago, you guys went to, to Key, um, Key West. Do you guys go out after the hurricane? I know like the the um, local weather offices, they do damage surveys for hurricanes and, and tornadoes. Do you guys go out to 
some of the uh, the sites where the hurricanes or the storm surge has been so uh, major and kind of evaluate and, and see how close you were with your predictions? Yeah, we, we, we do work with uh, other partners in doing that. Um, in the case of Irma, we did uh, make a trip down there to verify some high water marks um, to see, you know, to get an idea of the, you know, how high the water got in certain areas. So I can say yes, but we also have other partners that help us with that too. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, uh, I know it's about eight fifty, so we've got a couple more minutes here. Um, uh, as we look, I guess, into next year, um, from what you guys learned here, do you, do you see any kind of, um, retooling or, or do you think everything was set from this year as we go into this upcoming tropical season year uh do you think things will, will go like they did last year or have you learned some things that you can implement to uh, this year i think you always learn something um, to be honest especially after a season like that um i think uh i think we're ready for the next season uh to be honest with you uh the products we were able to issue on time every time um but for the next season, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we're we're ready. We're as ready as we were for the last one. If that makes if that helps. <laughs> are you are these still in experimental mode, or are you are you pretty much everything in- is operational? Yeah. So the the potential flooding map and the storm surge watch warning are both operational products now. Um, so in the event that there is a landfall, uh, forty hours in advance, you'll see these these products uh, pop up uh, at every uh, synoptic advisory. Or official advisory. So, so is the new Go 16 being very helpful for your for your efforts? Uh, definitely. For I can, uh, if I were to speak for the hurricane specialists, I think it's been very helpful for them. Um, and that's about all I can <laughs> I can say about that. But it it's been a tremendous help, I think, um, in identifying uh, various aspects of the hurricane. So. All right. Very cool. Well, do you guys, uh, any of our guests or panelists have any more questions for Cody? So Cody, is the suite of products that you were issuing last year then going to remain the same this year? Are there any tweaks to any of the products themselves that are coming out from your unit? Uh, No, the products will be, uh, they'll look the same. So there's no, there's no tweaks um, to be honest with you. Um, We, as far as uh, P surge goes, we always have to update when I talk about, um, uh, when we have to account for perturbations in the tracks and the speeds and that kind of thing to create these probabilities, we have to, those are based on historical errors. So we update, they update those every year. Um, they're based on five-year averages. So there'll be an update to P-surge relative to the new errors, um, which then obviously affects the results in the long run. Well, if there's no changes, that must have meant that uh, things went well. And obviously with, uh, with zero deaths attributed to storm surge this year, you guys did a great job. So kudos to the Hurricane Center and all that. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. Hey, um, um, one more for you. It's, um, it has to do with um, um, basically the not, – not so much the storm surge product, but sea level rise. How is that – is that starting to be a factor in what you're doing with, with your products? I mean, you have to count for – like I said earlier with tides, but now we're starting to see um, some of these – spring tides, these perigean spring tides that are mm-hmm. getting higher and higher as time goes on. It's becoming more of a nuisance problem for the coastlines, especially in the southeast and your neck of the woods in Miami. Yeah. Uh, so when it comes to comes to sea level rise, the idea is if you were to take, let's say, a storm 
now and then you raise the sea level you know a few centimeters if you will or a foot and along you know whatever the projections are uh that obviously makes the situation extremely you know much worse than it would you know now versus later right so when it comes to storm surge and storm surge forecasting it's simply if you raise the reference point raise the water level you're going to affect more areas much worse than you did before that's that's it simply put interesting so i'm, I'm assuming NOAA digital coast is a is an important uh, component to what you do, maybe some of their um, their fine tuning high resolution areas of the coastline, and or, or is that something that you don't really get into? So we are always in we are always upgrading or updating the basins. So I don't know if you have that to show either, but we have various slosh grids that go around the coastline. I would say about thirty plus of them, and we are we are updating those every few years with new digital elevation data. You know. Um, so all that new information gets input into the model. Hey, Cody, quick question. Um, yep. I know Hurricane Irma uh, last year produced just torrential uh, storm surge in the Jacksonville, Florida area. Um, you know, so Jacksonville's a little interesting in terms of geography as it sits kind of inland a little bit on the St. Johns River. Is yeah. it trickier to forecast storm surge for cities that are a little bit inland and that lie along a river when you, I, I can imagine you've got freshwater flooding adding, you know, to the river's flow out to sea, but then you have the push of the, the salt water coming inland. I'm just curious about how to forecast that. Yeah, that actually is a challenge. When it comes to connecting rivers or the freshwater part with the saltwater part, we're not quite there yet, that capability. Right. Um, and you're right that when you have that onshore flow, it kind of acts like a plug, right? It kind of blocks the river flow. And so if you do have, if it's raining tremendously, say over Jacksonville or whatnot, and the rivers have to drain, it can create a lot more flooding as a result just by stopping the water as it's trying to flow out the river. That was actually a case for Hurricane Harvey. Um, in Gallison, when you had all that that rainwater trying to drain out of the river, you still had some onshore flow. So you had these, you didn't have surge so much to say as you had a lot of freshwater flooding because the river was kind of being plugged. Right. Um, we can't accommodate for some of the, or sorry, account for some of that surge initially in the inlets. And so if you were just to have, yeah, water coming through, like say in the St. John's River as it wraps around, we can model flooding due to the salt water but when it comes to the freshwater part we can't can't yet connect right. those we got a question from a viewer for you uh rick iosi from uh down near your area near miami he asked with the last northeaster nor'easter and other notable storms out of the hurricane season where storm surge occurred allowing larger waves to come in closer to shore uh there's more damage during recession and flooding if Suggestions are accurate and such powerful storms are to be more common. Are you also taking a look at storm surge phenomenon with these lesser events? With say extra tropical storms? Extra tropical, reason. correct. So um, that we are strictly, I can say that we are strictly with the tropical side. Um, we, there's no policy yet on who can do or forecast extra tropical storm surge events. So as far as right now, the policy is strictly written for us to concentrate mainly on tropical. So not okay. that we're not, a, not that we're not aware of it, but yeah. No, it's good. I mean, I know they're, they're being tracked with some of the other models, the, um, the slosh, um, 
We do have yeah. tropical storm surge model. There, these things are being tracked. So yeah, we do have other models uh, to model that type of event. Um, as far as obviously the hurricane center doesn't uh, provide any forecasts, but local offices do provide like you know coastal advisories or coastal warnings as a result. So all right, I think Jared had one more. Yeah, what is your coordination like with the local offices when you're determining where you're going to set up this uh, storm surge water warning, uh, putting it into the grids and everything? Um, you know, how do you rely on their local expertise to uh, help you determine the best placement for those? That's a really good question, actually. I'm glad you asked that. So when it comes to the storm surge watch warning, one of the really cool things about this product is that when we provide our forecast, we'll actually send our best guess to the local offices. Um, and they will then, we will coordinate back and forth and they will kind of give us their local expertise and they might change where we put the watch or the warning just a little bit based on how they are familiar with say a river inlet or that kind of thing. And then they'll pass that information back to us. And then once we've kind of agreed and finished our coordination, we'll then officially send that out uh, to the country. So there's a lot of coordination when it comes to the storm surge watch warning. All right. Well, I think that's about all the questions, uh, Cody. We're about to nine o'clock. Um, for our followers who are watching tonight, maybe those who are following uh, along on it, uh, watching later on or even listening to the podcast a little bit later on, um, how can folks get in touch with or maybe not even get in touch, but follow uh, your products uh, there at the uh, Storm Surge unit? Yeah. So, I mean, if you wanted to contact the Hurricane Center, we have um, an official uh email address that you could you can write to um do i need to say i don't know how if i should how you can write that down or what but anyway it's on if you go to the national hurricane center's webpage and you go to uh, about nhc and then how to contact us there's a drop down men menu from there and you can simply contact um our public affairs officer and he can coordinate any any questions directly to us or to whoever is the expert on on the question that's being asked um, as far as the products um, I noticed that you guys were showing some of the educational resources, but again, on the National Hurricane Center's webpage, um, under educational resources, there's a drop-down menu. You can look at storm surge, and there's a list of all our products and the information about what they mean and uh, how they're available and whatnot. So. All right. All right. Well, cool. Thank you, uh, Cody, for joining us. Are you going to wrap up the show? This is National Weather Podcast Month, and um, – We'd love for you uh, guys to uh, follow along with us. You can go to weatherpodcastmonth.com, and there's a cool website up there. In fact, uh, if you guys want me to, I'll, I'll share that where everybody can see it. Um, can you guys – nope, you can't see it. All right, here we go. Now we can. Now you guys can see it. So it's nationalweatherpodcastmonth.com. Uh, this is all the participating uh, podcasts, Weather Brains, AMS on Air, In the Elements, uh, The Weather Junkies, Ice House, um, Ice Station Houseman, uh, Weather Hype, What Is It About the Weather, Stormfront Freaks. Um, all of us have come together for the much of, month of March. Uh, this is the uh, second annual uh, Weather Podcast Month. And so go uh, visit some of our friends and uh, tune into their podcast. Uh, there is a uh, schedule button up here. Uh, that you can click on and you can uh, find out what the other uh, weather podcast uh, folks are talking about uh, this month. So my internet's being really slow now. But anyways, um, you can go check out uh, weatherpodcastmonth.com and uh, feel free to uh, go follow all the other uh, podcasts on uh, Twitter and Facebook and 
um, interact with them and tell them uh, we here at the Carolina Weather Group sent you. And Shay, uh, I know you have been in the email thread with me. Is there anything else I'm missing about Weather Podcast Month? I think we're going to be doing some audio snippets uh, for Severe Weather Awareness Week and just general weather safety tips. And so uh, be on the lookout for those as well. We'll be sort of peppering those throughout the month in, in our Facebook feed and also in Twitter, uh, where one of us, probably myself, maybe James, I'm not sure, Ashley, whoever else, uh, some of us will be volunteering to read a few snippets out of uh, some scripts and uh, just to, to pass on some weather safety tips for everyone out there. And uh, I think that's about it. We're just, you know, these guys do a great job, Phil and, and uh, men, and those, those guys do a great job putting this together every year. So second year, by the way, first year went really well. And uh, so, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to uh, finishing out the month. We have some great guests lined up for the rest of the month. Yes, sir. Shay, uh, next week we have Jonathan Erdman on from the Weather Channel. He'll be our guest. Um, as we go to the next week, it's the Weather Junkies as a part of National Weather Podcast Month. The Weather Junkies will be joining us, and we're going to kind of just talk about weather on that show. And then we close out the end of the month with Todd Lindley from the National Weather Service office in Norman, Oklahoma. We're going to redo the uh, forecast and wildfires uh, show since the last one Todd was on, the internet kind of crashed in the uh, in his region. So uh, we're going to have Todd back on to, uh, to finish his show. But that's it for the Carolina Weather Group. We appreciate uh, you listening tonight and following along. Make sure that you uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And that you are uh, downloading our um, our um, podcast either on Stitcher or TuneIn Radio, uh, the Apple uh, Store, or even your Google Play Store. You can find Carolina Weather Group there. And as always, if you have any uh, specific topic or guest you would like for us to talk about, shoot us a message and we'll do our best to, uh, to get them on the show. So for everyone here at the Carolina Weather Group, we hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe out there. Stay warm. Peter, good luck, buddy. Uh, we're, we're, we're thinking about you. Uh, over the next uh, few days. Just think, spring is only a few weeks away. And it can't get here fast enough. (laughs) That's right. Go enjoy a hot Cinnabon. That'll make it feel better. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone have a great weekend, and we'll see you here next Wednesday night on the Carolina Weather Group.